Our text this evening is we're turning through the Psalms. We're coming tonight to a pair of Psalms, Psalm 42 and 43. And I call them a pair of Psalms. They're numbered separately. One follows the other. But many would say that this is probably a single Psalm, or at least two Psalms meant to go together. You can see that by the fact that there is a refrain that um, is in each that is in each psalm. Uh, it's in twice. It's, it's verse uh, five, verse eleven in Psalm forty-two, and then Psalm forty-three. It's the final verse, and so that refrain suggests that holds it together. Also, Psalm forty-two has a title. Psalm 43 doesn't. And so um, I'm going to take this as, as, as one psalm and draw from it a message. Let's, uh, f- I encourage you to follow along in your Bible as I read. To the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon and from the hill Mazar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night. His song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful, an unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead. Let them bring to me your holy hill. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And on the harp I will praise you, O oh God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. 
you'll notice that this psalm um, is somewhat will refer to David writing it, but it doesn't say David wrote, wrote it. It says it's to the chief musician. So it's meant to be sung in, in corporate worship uh, by the choir, especially as the temple gathered to the chief musician, a contemplation or a, a teaching. So this, this word contemplation has the idea it's, it's instructive. It's, it gives us wisdom. And it's of the sons of Korah, which were a musical uh, servants, a, a, a family of, of servants who were part of the musical program in, in the temple. So this was meant for temple worship. Who wrote it? I don't know. But we can see something about it as the psalm goes along. It seems to me that the psalmist is, uh, and I may call him David, I catch myself a couple times, that the psalmist um, is perhaps a a captive going into exile. We'll see that as the psalm develops, but he's, he's writing with great trouble of heart. And so he begins, as the deer pants for water, that's such a familiar um, expression. So my soul pants for you, O oh my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Most of us don't really know a great thirst. We're so close to whether it be your favorite coffee place or maybe you want a 7-Eleven Slurpee or a Sonic, is it a you know, huge drink. But we're always within reach of water. Of course, in Israel, that's a different story. Um, if you get in the wrong places, you can be very dry for very long. And so the idea, the picture here is a, maybe in a time of drought, you, you get a, a deer just, just panting for water. Uh, maybe a slight picture of that, my dog, who's not at all abused, but might have been without a drink for, oh, an hour or two. I don't know. But, but especially if she goes out and it's hot, she comes in. Oh, she, she gets lapping, and then it kind of gets messy around the bowl. But there's that sense of thirst. You may not, we may not have experienced that kind of thirst physically. But do we get the picture? And the greater question is, have we ever thirsted for God like that? Just this, this desperate need that must be quenched. And God alone is the answer. He speaks with heart, such heartfelt emotion. And again, that's what the Psalms, they, they speak from the heart. They speak with emotion. They, they speak with feeling. And so he tries to, to draw an image. How do you express this longing for God? He says it's like a, like a drought-stricken deer that's just desperate to find water somewhere. And when it gets a hint of water, it runs and charges until it gets there. He says, for, for you, Lord... For you, my God, I am desperately longing for you. In verse 2, my soul thirsts for, my, for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? So that furthers the idea. He's longing for God. And, but, but he noticed that he starts giving us some understanding. I, I long, he longs to appear before God. To appear before God, giving the kind of the impression of... Um, Coming before the king, you know, make an appearance. You, you present yourself. I, I want to be in your presence. And so, as I said, as, as the psalm will develop, it seems like he is, he's away. He's, he mentioned, you might remember he mentioned uh, the Jordan River, Mount Hermon. So he's, he's up in the north. 
and, and he talks also about an unjust nation. So it seems like he's being taken away in captivity. And, there's a, and, and his great pain, his great pain is he's being taken away from the temple. He's being taken away from God's place of worship. Now, again, the psalmist knows that God is omnipresent. There is no place, Psalm 139, right? Where shall I flee from your presence? There's no place where God isn't. But, but what he's longing for is the joy, the privilege, the, the, the soul satisfaction that comes from what we call corporate worship, gathering with the saints and publicly worshiping God. I want to be in the temple, he says. I, I want to worship you. I want to appear before you. I want to, to be in your presence. And I want to be among the saints and sing your songs and, and, and hear your word and lift our praises together, he's saying. And so this separation from that kind of worship is part of what's going on in his sense of despair and depression. Notice he says uh, uh, he's, long, he's looking for the, the living God. <clears throat> so what the psalmist is saying here is he's hungry for that vital connection with the living God. And again, I wonder, <clears throat> have we ever experienced a thirst like that? A longing to know him better. A longing to be satisfied by him, a longing to draw near to him, a hunger for that, a craving for that, a thirsting for that. And the other thing I just am struck by as I read this, how he, he's so brokenhearted that he's away from the place and people of worship. Do we have that sense? Does it, does it grieve us terribly? To be apart from God's people, to worship? Does it break our heart? Do we find ourselves longing and craving for the, the saints? I think the psalmist here is challenging us in many ways to, to thirst for God and to thirst for the gathering of worship. That's one of the things I, in, in times of our persecuted brethren, where, where can they gather and what is it like to, to wonder, can we gather safely? And yet they do. I think of what's going on in Ukraine. and There are many a real believer in that land. And how they must feel. I, uh, at times I'll turn on the, um, some of these, these uh, cams, live streaming cams. And you can just, and, and so last night as it was, you know, I guess getting towards midnight and I was kind of work, finishing my study, I, I had that up and I'd look up and just to see, is anything happening? Because they're, what, eight hours ahead of us? And I thought, well, if something's happening, you know, would I see anything going on? And one thing was interesting. I saw this one little path where um, it seemed like mostly older women in heavy coats trudging through the snow. <clears throat> and I wondered, are they heading to church? Um, and how many are grieving the fact that they can't be with the saints? Uh, we could tell stories of churches that are doing things. Uh, Mark sent me a forward of a letter where a pastor uh, in Ukraine was describing how he loaded up the church bus and took as many as he could out to the, to the border of Poland. Um, 
Of course, he couldn't cross because he's a man in the, in the age of service. Uh, and one woman couldn't cross because she delivered just before they got to the border. And so she was in the hospital, and he was in a motel across the street waiting till she was ready to move, and then he'd get her across the border and head back. Um, you wonder, all those people as they're leaving thinking, will I see any of those saints again? Will we, will we gather? And so one of the great encouragements is often it, many a believer is bringing them in. Uh, the ministry I was involved in, in Hungary, Word of Life, uh, they are bringing in uh, some of the refugees and some of the uh, missionaries and others to gather and find a place of safety. So, but just that sense. See, those, it's in times like that there when they can't have it that you might long for it more. But I see the need to maybe cultivate a longing for God and cultivate a longing to be with his people and to worship him together. I think that was one of the, um, the wounds that was afflicted through the whole COVID thing, is that it drove people apart, and some got too comfortable with that. And I think the psalmist part, a big part of his despair is the sense of when will I ever have that opportunity again? Well, he goes on in, in verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night. Well, they continually say to me, where is your God? So again, there's that, I think he's a captive, uh, foreigners taking him off to a foreign land. And so they're, they're mocking him. See, that's what you would often do. Uh, a time of, of war was a time of a war of the gods. Is whose God is stronger? Well, uh, Israel's God uh, was not strong enough to protect this one. Remember when the, um, the Babylonians came before Jerusalem and they started listing the God of this land, the God of this land, they couldn't protect them. What makes you think your God can protect you? Uh, that's one of my favorite passages in Scripture when Hezekiah takes that letter and goes to the temple and says, Lord, they don't think you can do it. <laughs> and, and God did. But just that sense of being a captive and being taken off. In verse, chapter 43, verse 1, he'll talk about this ungodly nation deceitful and unjust so not only can he not worship he is mocked for his love and longing for God he's craving God and they take and they very mock that very craving he's he's weeping for his his inability to go to the temple and they they mock him for that and, and so his tears are flowing in verse 4, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. I, I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a, a pilgrim feast. And so he's remembering, you know, we're coming up on celebrating the Seder, the, uh, the kind of our recreation of the Passover meal. Well, that, that must have been an incredible time in Jerusalem. Over two million people packing into that area, uh, and, and just the the pilgrimage, the the walking together from Galilee or from wherever Bethlehem, wherever it might be, towards Jerusalem. Uh, that that whole thing just built this wonderful time of national and family and personal celebration and worship. And so he longs for that. He says, you know, oh, for the voice of joy. 
uh, for the pilgrim feast. And so he, he misses the singing of the uh, songs of ascension, you know, the, the, the psalms they sang on their way. He just misses all those times of just being with God's people, worshiping the Lord God. And he's, he's thinking about that and wondering, will I see it again? Will I see it again? I think I've shared before, I, was, I heard a man talk about his experience in Vietnam um, he was on one of those Air Force rescue teams. So when the pilot went down, they got the pilot out. And so he was on a mission. The pilot went down. They got him out, but he couldn't get on board the aircraft that was leaving. And so he was left behind. And he talked about how he, for a while, tried to escape and then eventually was captured, um, put into prison, isolation. And so he's there, very much isolated in this little cubicle. Very, um, he started thinking about home. He started thinking about, and one of the things that kept him grounded, he said, uh, he started imagining on Sunday what would be happening. And so he didn't know what day of the week it was, and so he just created his own calendar. He said, okay, I'm going to call today Sunday from now on. And then he started marking his calendar. On Sunday, he would get up, he, he would wake up and say, okay, now they're having breakfast, and, and now they're getting dressed. And he would imagine them driving to church, and he would sing some of the songs that were so much a part of his time in church as a child. He, he, he recited all the scriptures he could think of. Kind of scary sometimes. Okay, Jesus wept. Um, so all of that came back, and that was his food, and that, was his, that kept him grounded. His time with the Lord, which couldn't be separated in one sense, but in some sense, trying to connect back with that community. God built us to be together. And then comes the first time this refrain appears in verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. So again, here's the first time it's used three times in the psalm. And notice he's addressing his despair, his depression. He sees his soul as, as cast down. It, kind of, it can be used of, of, of bowing down, but crumpled down. Why are you lying on the ground? Why are you all crumpled down, crushed under a weight and, a weak, and too weak to stand? That word disquieted, it disquiets me. I think it's too weak. Uh, that just says you're not, and unquiet. This, this word can be used of the roar of a crowd, the roar of, a wa- of the waves. His soul is groaning and moaning in his sorrow and pain. He's not just disquieted. He's in turmoil. There is a roaring sea in his heart. And at the very same time, he's crushed in his soul, he's crushed and roaring at the same time with this confusion and, 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 and battering of his emotions. Then the psalmist takes a very important step. So why are you cast down? Why are you roaring within me? Then he makes an important step. He counsels himself. He counsels himself. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Uh, I mentioned this morning that 
there's a book called Spiritual Depression by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a very um, respected uh, physician. In fact, after he, uh, but he went into uh, the ministry. He loved teaching God's word and was a masterful expositor of scripture. Uh, just by way of example, on, on Friday nights, uh, he, he had a Bible study in the book of Romans in downtown London, you know, when everybody had to, wanted to get out and go home in the suburbs, and it was packed. Um, he, just, they just lo- he, was a mar- he was a powerful expositor. Well, he did a series of 26, 27 messages on spiritual depression, and he understands, you know, as a physician, there's such a thing as, you know, medical issues and other issues, but he's talking about spiritual depression, spiritually rooted depression. In the opening pages of the book, he says this. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? And that will become a theme of this book. Are you listening to those fearful? uh, are Are you listening to the negative, the critical, the hopeless voice? Or are you speaking truth to yourself? That's what the issue. He goes on, take those thoughts that come to you. The moment you wake up in the morning, you have, not, they, you have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment was this. Speaking of our song. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Have I confused you yet? Are we, do you get the do you see? Have you, have you been, maybe it's at night, and you can't go to sleep because of all this conversation that's happening to you. And so he says, don't listen, talk to yourself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him crushing him so he stands up and says self listen for a moment i will speak to you do you know what i mean he asks us with martin lloyd jones if you do not you have had but little experience and so um he gathers from this psalm and this refrain of this psalm choosing not to listen to the thoughts that drag us into despair and instead choosing to speak truth to lift us out of despair. And what is the counsel that the psalmist speaks to his heart? Hope in God. So often, depression can be described as really rooted in hopelessness. A despair of there is no hope. A loss of a sense of hope. It was a I believe a psychologist, psychiatrist named uh, Viktor Frankl. Anyone know that name? He was a uh, sur- he survived Auschwitz, and he, in his mind, he did a study of the issue. One of the questions was, why did some survive and others not? Now, of course, you could talk about different kinds of diseases, whatever it might be, but this is something he says in his book. Um, Man's search for meaning. 
Those who know how close the connection is between the state of the mind of man, his courage and hope, or lack of them, and the state of immunity of his body, will understand that sudden loss of hope and courage can have a deadly effect. And then he describes an example. Um, in 1944, around Christmas time, there was an, a, a record high, uh, high rate of death in Auschwitz until New Year's 1945. He felt the prisoners died because they expected to be home before Christmas. You know, the war, you know things were happening, um, and, and they were, they, you know, we're going we're to be out of here by Christmas, and then Christmas came. And now we're into a new year. And that just caused them, you know, the hope had kept them going. And when they sensed that the hope was gone, that was one of the highest times of, of death of Auschwitz prisoners because they lost hope. And that plunged him into, as he argues, it can affect you medically as well as emotionally. The statement he made was, he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. Another illustration of kind of that principle. In 1952, Florence Chadwick was a renowned long-distance swimmer. And she attempted to swim some 26 miles between Catalina Island and the California coast. She swam for 15 hours and then quit only one half mile short of her goal. The reason? Fog prevented her from seeing how close she was to the coast. And so she became discouraged. She could no longer hope. And she gave up. And so the psalmist, as he is crushed, as he is, his soul is roaring within him, he speaks to himself, and what does, he, what does he say? Hope. Hope in God. Now, sometimes those words can be meaningless. When I was in Israel, one of the phrases people would use was, yeye tov, it'll be, it'll be good. And I often thought, maybe it won't be good. Have you ever heard someone, um, you know, maybe tell someone that's in the hospital, you'll, you'll be all right? Maybe not. Or, or whatever it might be. You know, they're, oh, you're hearing about the market uh, going down. Don't worry, I'm sure your investments will be just fine. Maybe not. If we're honest, we might even say, well, it could be worse than you thought. But, you know, so those, just those meaning things, oh, it's going to be all right. Well, if you want to say, in God's sovereign purposes will be accomplished, if you're saying it theologically, okay. But if it's just these things, it'll be okay. It's like the, what the Australians say, no worries, mate. Maybe you should be worried. But, but here's my point. The psalmist is not just saying, oh, think happy thoughts. The sun will come out tomorrow. It'll be just fine. No, what does he say? Hope. In God. Hope in God. And the word hope is related to the word wait. So there's a sense of hope means it's not your answer is not coming right away. Hope in God. So that's not this silly talk of it's just going to be okay. 
It is grounded thought. It's, it's built on the most fundamental theological absolute truth. God can be trusted. He is he's omnipotent. He, can, he will accomplish his will. He is sovereign. He governs and rules all. So hope in God is true. It's reasonable. It's biblical hope. And so that's when the psalmist is talking to himself. Why are you cast out? Hope in God. What's he saying? Get your eyes off the circumstances. Stop listening to the thoughts full of doubt and despair and hopelessness. And replace that with hope in God. It reminds me of Paul, his whole approach so often in the book of Ephesians. You get this, he kind of says, put off the old man, put on the new. Biblical counsel doesn't just say, stop doing that. It says, and start doing this. And so he says, you know, let him who steals, steal no more. Rather, let him work so that he has enough to give to someone else. He doesn't just say, stop doing this. He says, start doing this. And so talking to ourselves, we say, stop that kind of thinking and put your hope in the Lord. And then verses 6 to 11, he talks about looking to God. Oh, my God, verses 6 and 7. Oh, my God, my soul is cast down. So he's talked to himself and now he talks to God he prays my soul is cast down within me therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan from the heights of Hermon from the hill of Nazar so again if you look at your Bible map Hermon is about as far north as you can get when you were going from say Jerusalem to Babylon you didn't just go straight across the deserts you went up and followed the fertile crescent and so you would leave Israel by heading north and then east and south. And so he would have been passing. And so it's kind of like, um, you know, you're heading out to Oklahoma. And all of a sudden, you know, you're leaving. As you, you know you're leaving Texas, there might be a sign, thank you for visiting. And, and then there's signs for Oklahoma. Okay, we're, 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 we've left the Holy Land. You know, um, and, and so when he came and saw the Mount Hermon, That's it. I'm leaving the Holy Land. I'm leaving the land of promise. So I think that's what's so much what's going on here. Verse seven: Deep calls to deep at the noise of your waterfalls. There is the source of the Jordan. There's a place called Banyas, which is the source of the of the Jordan River comes out there. And nearby there's a uh, there's a waterfall, and many will go there. And there's just this pounding waterfall. That's the picture here. Deep calls to deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. And so so what in many sense, if you watch a waterfall, go to see Niagara Falls. That's impressive. That's awesome. Well, he feels like he's at the bottom of the falls, and all that water's hitting him. That's the picture he draws. He understands despair and depression. Again, as he goes off in exile, I think. Absence from worship, absent from God's people have brought him low. And again, this is making it real. There's, the, there's Herman. I'm gone. Psalm 42, 8. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his soul shall be with his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And so here's an expression. 
He wisely turns the circumstances to his sovereign God. By the way, if you pay attention to details, notice how much um, my soul, why are you cast down? Hope in God. Elohim. Notice, I think this might be the only place when he's now here saying the Lord, that's the divine name. Jehovah or Yahweh. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And when that name is used of God, it reminds us he is the God of covenant faithfulness. And so as he's thinking about trusting in God to be faithful to his promises, he uses the name of God's covenant faithfulness. In the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Music can be such a help to the soul. It can be such a hindrance. Just the other day, Barb and I were in the car, and um, I could kind of hear the lyrics from the, from the vehicle. Well, actually, it was the motorcycles behind us. You know, and, and it wasn't necessarily a, just the kind of music that would just really lift your hearts to the Lord. But so often... Godly music is such a, such a medicine for the soul. So often, uh, when someone has been in the hospital, or especially ICU, I've said, is there any way uh, you can get some music in there that uh, maybe is their favorite songs of worship? And people have seen it making a profound impact. I've been impressed now. Some of that was, goes back to ancient history. There used to be these little things called cassettes. You can look it up on Wikipedia. And, and, and there were, it was such a thing that, you know, we would even bring a little tape player and, and nurses would, would make a point of trying to help with the process, realizing how important that was. When it came to the end, they would actually punch it out, flip it, start it over again. Music is one of God's gifts to the soul. And so he says, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, in the night, the night of quiet. You know, that's when it's, it's so much easier to hear our voice talking to us instead of us talking to our soul. Songs help divert our thoughts to worship and, and the Lord. 9 and 10 of verse 42, chapter 42. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my own bones, my Enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? That the, these pagans that had captured him, that are, that are exulting in the fact that their God be his God, it's killing him. And notice he honestly expresses his heart to God. The why isn't demanding an answer as much as it's crying out the pain. He's expressing his own confusion and concern. He didn't expect an answer coming down from heaven rather he's expressing how he feels sometimes we think I, I i can't tell god how i feel you think he doesn't know he wants you to openly confess i am hurting here i am struggling here i do not understand why you have abandoned me he says for that's how i feel it's my it's like my bones are breaking but still notice, he chooses to trust. He chooses. So there are his feelings. 
if you will, that's kind of coming out of the voice talking to him. What does he do? Verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you roaring within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. By the way, notice the expression, the help of my countenance. You can often just look at someone's face and tell if they're going through a time of, of depression. Um, it's practic- it can often be even diagnostic, you know, this, the, uh, that there's a certain affect that just says something's not right. And if you know someone at all well, a lot of times you can kind of see and say, how are you doing? And they'll say, fine, and say, okay, now, well, now how are you really doing? <laughs> Talk to me. The help of my countenance and my God. So he, he's saying, I hope, trust in the Lord. He is the one who will lift my spirits. He will change my face by lifting my heart. And then chapter 43 goes on and continues the psalm, verses 1 and 2. Vindicate me, O God. Plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And so again, this shows you he's struggling, and it shows you he's in captivity, and it's even more painful because his his captors are, are so antagonistic, mocking his God, mocking his faith. Verses 3 to 5. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Depression can be a time of great darkness. And he says, Lord, send me light. Light my way. I'm having a hard time seeing. Let them bring me to you, to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. He's not saying just, hey, free me from this. I want to be with you. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. On the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. And then he closes this psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you roaring within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. And so he's, he's, his longing is to be restored but he may recognize it won't be an actual restoration to Jerusalem, and yet his hope and glory will still be in the temple. Think of Daniel. He took this trip. He passed by Hermon on the way to Babylon, probably thinking these very similar thoughts. And what happened? He, he, he didn't return to Jerusalem, but he prayed towards Jerusalem. Remember that? That got him into some trouble. But he kept his heart fixed on the Lord. And so he made a point of looking toward Jerusalem and praying toward the remains of the temple to remind himself that's the foundation. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of those foundational truths. And that's what he was doing. And that's what the psalmist is trusting. He's trusting God. He's hoping in God whether or not he's returned from exile. But he knows ultimately God's people will be returned because that's part of God's covenantal promise 
If you disobey, disobey, disobey me, eventually it'll get to the place I'm going to take you out of the land, and then I'll bring you back. And so he's, he's in there. Lord, I want to be with those who come back. And so he closes this psalm with the same refrain, and, and that's a, a help to me. Sometimes we think, well, I've already said that. I've already, well, say it again to yourself. Say it again. Remind yourself of these grounded truths. And so to steal from Mr. Dr. Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones, don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. Just a reminder then, as we look at the psalm, separation from God's people is dangerous to our spiritual and emotional health. And again, I've seen so often, Satan works just like the wolves work. First thing they try to do is separate out a straggler, a weak one, maybe a struggling one. What do they do? They try and separate it out from the protection of the herd, from the protection of the flock. So when your feeling is, flee the flock, Flee to the shepherd and the flock. Don't listen to yourself. You think about it. We've talked about Auschwitz and such. Across the nations, one form of torture is isolation. Putting someone where they, they, they have no human contact. And that is a terrible form of torture. Don't do it to yourself. In a time, in a time of, of despair and depression, don't give in to that. Force yourself to do what's right. I'm reminded of a, a man who was um, terminal with cancer. Um, but he made a point of eating when he, even when he didn't feel like it. Because he knew he needed the strength. He needed the nutrition. He just did it. Because that is what he needed to do. And sometimes we go to church that way. Oh, Sundays, that's why I'm here. <laughs> but, um, but sometimes you just do it, you, not because you feel like it, because, but this, it's, it's where you need to be. And in doing that, and, and then coming with, Lord, help me to have a heart that's open and longing for you and your word, you'll be surprised at how God can use that in your life. We need to nurture a, a, a delight and a hunger for worship with God's people. In ourselves, we need to worship and nurture that. Talk to yourself. Use scripture. Speak hope to your heart. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd there's another Martin. Uh, Martin Luther. He once spent, and by the way, if you go through history, you will find some of God's greatest saints battled depression seriously. My hero, uh, Charles Spurgeon, it, was, it could be devastating in his life. Martin Luther battled with it. Once he spent three days in a black depression over something that had gone wrong. On the third day, his wife came downstairs dressed in mourning clothes. He said, who's dead? She replied, God. <laughs> Luther rebuked her, said, what do you mean God is dead? God cannot die. Well, she replied, the way you've been acting, I was sure he had. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sometimes we need someone in our life that will just, um, um, sometimes it's, it's a gentle arm around the shoulder, and sometimes it's a foot that helps us move forward. <laughs> Here's another story that's, Douglas Maurer was 15. He'd been feeling bad for several days. His temperature was range, ranging between 103, 105 degrees. He was suffering from severe flu-like symptoms, and finally his mother took him to the hospital. Douglas Maurer was diagnosed as having leukemia. The doctors told him in frank terms about his disease. They said that for the next three years he would have to undergo chemotherapy. They didn't sugarcoat the side effects. They told Douglas he would go bald, his body most likely would bloat. Upon learning this, he went into a deep depression. His aunt called a floral shop to send Douglas an arrangement of flowers. She told the clerk that it was for a her teenage nephew who has leukemia. When the flowers arrived at the hospital, they were beautiful. Douglas read the card from his aunt, and then he saw a second card. It said, Douglas, I took your order. I work at Bricks Florist. I had leukemia when I was seven years old. I'm 22 years old now. Good luck. My heart goes out to you. Sincerely, Laura Bradley. His face lit up. He said, oh, that's funny. Um, so, so, it's, so, oh, he said. And so it's funny is how the story goes on to say, here he was in a hospital with all the highest tech medication and equipment and doctors. And what was it that most helped him? Someone who took the care, someone who didn't even know him, cared enough to write a note. Of encouragement. And by the way, did you notice a major element in that? I was seven and now I'm 22. What does that suggest? Hope. Hope. But what if I have something and I don't recover? If I'm a believer, heaven. And so I trust in the Lord, Lord, whatever your will may be. But I hope in God. I don't hope in the doctors. I don't hope in the problem going away. I hope in God. And when I forget to hope in God, I speak to myself and I remind myself, hope in God. Some of you might be in the midst of that. Some of you it might be down the corner, down the way. Some of you might struggle with it on again, off again. Some might say, I, "I'm not sure I understand what you're talking about." Uh, we we we're, we're different people. But one thing I want you to hear is that feeling of despair, that roaring of the soul. Don't criticize it. Encourage. Come alongside. Pray. The best preaching comes from self to self. But you might be of some help by sharing some scriptures, that kind note, something that brings eternal hope. And that's why God's word is often such a great help.
If right now you're battling what a church will call it, the black dog. He battled with depression quite a bit too. If the black dog is, is, is at your door, stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. Hope in God. Don't feed the despair. Feed the hope with God's eternal word. Father, we thank you that through Jesus Christ we do have hope. I thank you, Father, that because he died on that cross for us, when we trust in him as our Savior, heaven is our home. And there is no greater hope for us. Father, I do pray this passage brings out a, a true reminder of real hardship even believers can experience. And so, Father, I pray your mercy and grace for those who are in that struggle. I pray wisdom for us, if that is us. Father, I pray for wisdom to be a help. And Father, help us to be faithful, to, to not listen to ourselves, but to talk to ourselves. Scripture. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.